This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, I'm Joanna Mayer-Jones. I'm the Vice President of Client Solutions at Dow Jones. And what I love about content is the way that it can take you to new places and keep you distracted and entertained. Print publications today, all statistics show they've been struggling to survive, if not completely gone out of business. Is, is branded content a way just to fill that gap? Is it adding revenue to the bottom line or is it just filling a void that's, that's leaving for other channels, you know, to the Facebooks, to the Instagrams or whatnot? Is this just, this just a strategy to make back some of the money you may, may be losing to other channels? From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser, and brought to you by 24-7 Talent, the leading creative recruitment firm. Your hosts for this episode are Dahlia Strum, Lisa Berger, and Edward Hertzman. The views and opinions expressed by Joanna in this interview are hers personally and not necessarily those of her employer. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. You're working on a content studio that's associated with Dow Jones. And I think that, like you said it best, content allows you to be distracted and entertained. So what does that mean? Can we elaborate a little bit more on that? When we're thinking about content in the in the context of our work in the context of the of the studios it's about really storytelling for our clients and so when you're thinking about like that idea of distraction but also entertainment you have to be able to tell great stories that can kind of cut through the clutter and like the everyday distraction but also actually entertain you and give something back and make the person that's engaging with that content feel like it's a valuable use of their time yeah you know I I think at the moment like the sort of biggest commodity that we have is time and attention and so for us the content we produce the content we align with the content that our clients give us just has to be an amazing use of of our of our audience's time yeah definitely I agree can you tell us about a recent project that you're personally passionate about yeah so um there have been a uh you know, we've done we've done so much great work over the last couple of years as a content studio. Um, we've worked with some amazing clients and on some, you know, interesting and challenging programs. I guess the one that stands out for me is something we did with Mini, um, which was uh, maybe it was over a year ago now. Time just flies. You kind of lose you lose point of when everything anything happened. Did you work with Lee on it? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Lee seeing Adler, him tonight. Yeah. You're going to come with me. Oh, fantastic. He's just amazing. amazing. And each year, Mini kind of choose a charity that they then uh, support. And um, this was Feeding America. And so many went on a tour with uh, their clients, their fans, many drivers around America, uh, raising awareness of local communities that were doing phenomenal work around food banks, but around education. Um, and our studio went with them. So we actually had a mini branded car uh, with custom studios. Um, one of the couple of guys from my team went, unfortunately, I can't drive. So I didn't get to go on the tour, but um, we sent a social editor and we had our custom studios, uh, Vice President Farah Warner go, um, and we just captured this beautiful storytelling and footage of um, real people doing great work to deal with the issues of hunger in America. 
Um, and then we brought all of that content back and sort of had it live on this immersive and interactive hub, which had a gorgeous map that you could kind of play with. Um, and then, and it's a sort of final part to the partnership. Um, we activated it at our global food forum, which we host. In fact, actually, we're hosting it for the second time next week, next Tuesday. Um, and, and and many were there. So it was just a really nice, like, integrated program, but with social good behind it. And I think... You know, when you work in advertising and marketing and media um, and the publishing, but like specifically in that sort of in the media, when you can work with clients around programs which have a social good behind them and, and can incite change, you know, you feel good, really good at the end of the day. So we're hearing this this term content studio, branded content. It's like the big buzzword of the past couple of years. Uh, it seems that almost every major publisher from the marquee, you know, Fortune 500 all the way down, have kind of created a studio. Mm. So what would you say differentiates Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones, um, branded studio, content studio from, you know, New York Times or a Bloomberg or, you know, even keep staying in that business space, not even going to the consumer, the 23 studios, you know, what would you Mm. tell an advertiser that's trying to determine which, you know, why should they work with you? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. This has definitely been the trend of the last, you know, three, five years. Everybody investing heavily in talent, heavily in studios. Um, and I think there's a demand for that, obviously, as like the platforms have uh, evolved. But the I think I think what separates us is that we don't think of this purely as a branded content studio. Um, this isn't just about creating custom content. This is really about thinking about what does Dow Jones have as part of its solutions toolbox that we can combine for the best way to work to solve our clients' business problems. So Dow Jones, you know, the 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 part that you're sort of most familiar with, I imagine, is Wall Street Journal um, from a content perspective. I still get it in print every day. I literally love you. <laughs> I didn't say I, I didn't say I read it. I just say I get it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know, you get it. Therefore, you're a subscriber. I, I get it, and every day because my neighbor across the hall is too cheap to get it. I give it to him, and they read the day old news but every day. I've gotten it since I was in college. Yeah. So that was. I mean, the, and I'd love to sort of to come back to that actually about the about the college about about students and about that next generation of Wall Street Journal readers. But the, the sort of the point was was that like you think of content students you think the Wall Street Journal content studios, but actually we're part of Dow Jones. And Dow Jones is a lot more than just the Wall Street Journal. We have our other sort of wealth publications around Barron's and Market Watch and Money-ish. But we also have Factiva and our Newswise business, Risk and Compliance. And that's a huge source of data and news. Um, and so when you start to think about us not as sort of these individual brands, but as the power of Dow Jones, what we can bring for our clients in terms of solutions, in terms of data, in terms of the analytics, and then that sort of rich storytelling, videography, whatever, design, um, I think separates us out. Um, So I think firstly, it's the toolbox that we have and the diversity within that uh, to tell really engaging stories. Um, And then ultimately, of course, the audience that we're telling it to. And with that, I mean, if your clients know the data that you're sitting on here, do they change the KPIs that maybe they wouldn't necessarily ask of another studio, knowing that they can access more from you? You know, the answer to that is, I hope they do. Right. I want them to. You know, I I 
we don't want to be held to industry metrics that are predetermined mm -hmm. by, um, you know, display media that is not equivalent to the way that our audience engages and behaves. You know, we're, we're click-through rate, page views, CPMs. These are slightly antiquated ways yeah. of Be saying. Be nice. This is my yeah. business. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm saying like. It's okay. His ways are antiquated too. Don't worry. <laughs> that was successful. It had 175,000 page views. I feel like that means a little less today, less to my clients. And we want to go on a bit of a, a bit of a journey with them to, to redefine what, you know, the metrics that matter are. So what are those metrics? If it's not if it's not page views, because one of the issues I do have, and it's interesting you bring this up, yeah, and I'm a little different but similar because I'm in the trade space, is that some of these more marquee brands uh, that are used to working with you know traditional media, they don't understand what engagement means. They mm -hmm. don't understand what oh Instagram got, I got five thousand hearts. I mean, how do you measure hearts as a success of a campaign? Yeah. So what is success? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's going to vary campaign by campaign. It's going to align back to that original sort of KPI and the objective. I, I recently came from, uh, I went actually a couple of weeks ago um, to uh, Jonah Goodart's Moat Attention IO conference. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but this phenomenal event where, you know, they we talked about and I mentioned also like attention is this huge commodity. So if attention is really a metric of success, right? You've got someone's attention, they're engaging your content, they care about it. Then how do you start to quantify that? And I think that's sort of one of the challenges our industry has to go through right now, which is how do you quantify attention? Um, but then also for for our business, it's Dow Jones. It's how do you quantify cross-channel attention? Because the reality of it is, is you avidly read the paper every morning from cover to cover, spending approximately 45 minutes against it, I believe is the original answer. Yeah, yeah, give or give 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 take. Give, give or take. take. And, and then how do you take that and then add maybe what you see sort of on your, in the app and then maybe the engagement that you have at one of our conferences. And what, what again, what we, what we need to succeed in doing is saying that the one plus one plus one equals you know that it's the five or the it's funny i don't have the app yeah you, well, you don't love technology. So <laughs> so I think that's really fascinating because apparently they've done studies and we have a seven-second attention span. Goldfish have an eight-second attention span. So where are you spending your attention? How are you How are you allocating it? And, and it's so fascinating to me because a friend of mine and I were looking at Instagram the other day and we found somebody that gets between 50 to 60,000 likes per post. You just don't see that. Mm. And then are you I'm checking me out? That, mm. <laughs> um, oh, I wish I could give you that credit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but going back to the attention span, I mean, I think that the average video is of our, you know, that captures our attention span is six seconds at this point, two yeah. to six seconds. But with, you're doing live video ads now. So what is the average yeah. span of a live video ad versus the short films that are being produced? Because those are ranging from two, three, ten yeah. Plus minutes. I mean, I think there's a bit of a misconception that video is best at six seconds. Like, perhaps there's right. some pre-roll that's right. best at six seconds. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a different value of a two-second view versus a 30-second mm -hmm. view. And I, and I know, obviously, that 
the industry is working on that again, sort of recognizing that. But we just released today a, a 10 minute video. Um, it's a part of a new series that our uh, new head of uh, video, Chris Moran, is is producing around, it's called Moving Upstream. This is a 10 minute video that lives across all of our different platforms. We're promoting it on social. It's about North Korea. And the, the, the views are off the charts, but the completes are off the charts as well. So from my, from my business perspective, it's about saying, how do I work with my clients to capture that attention in a way that feels genuine and authentic to that content? Because running a you know, one minute brand ad in front of that isn't going to benefit anyone. And we just need to have those honest conversations and understand again, like the the value that as a publisher, we bring to the table. And I think that goes back to your question, Andy, is like, what makes us different as like a creative studio to a content studio is, is understanding how and why our audience really engages with us. Um, we built this amazing um, global audience that pays a ton of cash to, to, to read our content. Um, and so we should use that relationship. We use that relationship. We use those insights to um, inspire the work we do with our clients. So when someone does something with your content studio, um, are they allowed to use that content and syndicate it or, or on other publications or other outlets? Or do they own that or is it, do you own it? Yeah, they, they, they own it. There are parameters around how we can establish those deals. Of course, it's not like explicitly for everything. But it's you, the agency type model that you're creating content for them. It's not, a, it's not proprietary to only a Dow Jones property. No, I think there's a value that we provide in saying that the content we're, we're creating for you solves your business problem. And because of that, you should use it everywhere. We want to be your partners. Mm -hmm. We want to help build uh, new communities, new audiences, new stories, and and then ultimately you, for you to leverage that. Um, this is the, the evolution, I think, of content for us as well has been from like, here's a campaign. Thank you very much. Uh, here's your page views, here's your click-through rate, to being like, how can we work with you better, more integrated as a partner to take this to a different level, to evolve our business from buying products to ultimately to pro partnerships. And it's a good retention strategy as well. I mean, the advertising industry is, is going away from these big retainers and going to a per-project basis. So I would think that you're, if you're able to have a client solution model versus selling these one-offs that you're going to have a better retention. Yeah, definitely. Um, but like for it to sound less sort of business orientated, right? This isn't like, here is the, here's mm -hmm. our contract. Here's how you work yeah. with us. Um, we're, I like to think that we've built this really smart team of multi-talented, multifaceted uh, marketing experts. And that we come as this really like, flexible unit to work with clients to better understand how we can collaborate with them. Um, this isn't templatized. Yeah, maybe there's an element of that, but this isn't a fixed way of working. This is a new way of working where first comes understanding your business and then comes kind of that matchmaking across our solutions toolbox to figure out the best way we can help solve your problem. I love this solutions toolbox. You've said it a couple of times. Yeah. So what is the solutions toolbox? I mean, again, it's just this... Um, a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it's a paintbrush. No, it's, a, it's lots of different things, you know. It's... um. 
it's, it's talent, really, at the end of the day. It's really great, smart people who care about uh, the work we're doing and who understand our our products, our platforms, our talent internally, like the editorial talent, and then how best to, to match make them. Um, you know, we're a, a team of sort of problem seekers and solvers in the sense that we, we want to be asking... Um, the really smart, difficult questions. It's actually, it's it's interesting. So we just hired a new editor of Barron's, Catherine Bell. She joins us from Harvard Business Review. And she was addressing the company this morning and she was sort of saying, you know, what um, what makes Barron's so unique as uh, this incredible legacy publisher is that they've always asked the questions that perhaps others haven't wanted to ask. And they've always sort of challenged the people that they're talking to. That as an insight, like that as a way of working, if we transfer that to the, the sort of more commercial business engine, is so powerful. We're saying that we we represent the world's best journalists and we behave like them when we're with our clients. If we can continuously question and diagnose and, and then learn, then this the then the results are gonna be just way better. And to your point, retention is gonna be far easier. And just to your point with talent, um, the next generation in media, I mean, this is something that we were talking about with millennials and just publishing is, is an old, it's an old business and it's been, you know, 30 years. How is the legacy uh, C-suite interacting with the next generation yeah. um, within? They're embracing them wholeheartedly, right? I mean, <laughs> so I think there's a, there's a couple of aspects of that question as it pertains to sort of our business, right? So the, the, the first is like from a audience perspective, the, you know, the, the, the future of the Dow Jones audience are going to be that next generation of, of readers, of, um, of, of consumers of our content. So we have to think about how we engage them, what platforms they're reading it on, what they care about, what they're coming to us for. Um, and I think we've done some really phenomenal work there and there's sort of more to come in that space. And then there's the internal part of it, which is like our editorial teams are, again, I've sort of said this a couple of times, but like experts at creating news content, thought leadership, analysis content. And what they've had to evolve and transform, and they've also sort of gone through their own process in doing that, is the understanding of those techniques for modern distribution platforms, right? For mobile, for audio. Um, and, you know, we were one of the first publishers to partner with Alexa. Um, and putting our content on Alexa is, is one thing, but great storytelling on Alexa is something else. And so I think that, you know, the evolution of our audience comes hand in hand with the evolution of our editorial sort of approach. And again, comes in the evolution of actually the talent that work at the company. Um, and we're, we're fully engaged on making sure that the, 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 um, the existing, the traditional way of working is collaborative with a next generation of exciting smart people that we want to encourage to come and work with us so if you if you say that you know the 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 page view as a metrics or a click through as a metrics is kind of antiquated and obviously most of the the print publications today not the wall street journal but the the average glossy magazine has obviously all statistics show they've been you know struggling to survive if not completely gone out of business um is is branded content a way just to fill that gap? It's not. Is it adding revenue to the bottom line, or is it just you know 
um, filling a void that's that's leaving, you know, for other channels, you know, to the Facebooks, to the Instagrams, or whatnot. Is this just 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 a strategy for you guys to make back some of the money you may may be losing to other channels? Yeah, there's. I mean, firstly, as you said, our print business is faring really well in a shift in the way that people are consuming news, right? So we're still doing well. We're still doing great work there. This is not like fill the gaps. This is additive. Everything that we're doing in the branded, and again, I think I, I kind of want to move away from like branded content space, but to like the solution space is about growing our business for the next generation of our readers, but also just in a way that we have perhaps not had like the uh, flexibility before. So whether that's in video or conferences or content, these are all areas that we see huge growth in. But since you're very, maybe maybe I could ask it a little bit differently. Because you're so focused, your content, you know, barons and, and whatnot, like you said, you have a lot of wealth and financial products. So there's a very targeted audience there, which obviously people, if you're that's the business you're in, you almost have to read. It's your industry Bible. These conferences are, you know, pull together thought leaders, both for networking and for, for, for you know, speakers. Um, what would you think of or what would you speak to for other publishers that are kind of going after mainstream media or uh, mainstream audiences, uh, consumer brands? Yeah. You know, I think if there was like a connection across all the different brands and a mindset of our audiences, regardless of industry, regardless of seniority, regardless of... Uh, even socioeconomic background away, it's this feeling of ambition. If you read the Wall Street Journal, you're ambitious. You're ambitious professionally, personally. You want to stay ahead of the trends. You want to be part of the influencer crowd. And the same with Barron's, with Market Watch. You're ambitious for your personal finance. You're ambitious for your professional finance. So this concept of ambition, I think, transcends necessarily a particular sector or demographic. And that's at the heart of what we're doing. So on that note, I know you were recently away on a trip. Um, and you you brought back some amazing things from that trip. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, this has definitely got nothing to do with work. <laughs> um, good friends, got married, uh, flew to Scotland for uh, three, four nights. Um, it was an, a phenomenal wedding. I, I literally still have the music ringing in my ears. Um, and so I uh, brought back some treats, actually. Um, and by the way, just so you know, like this we call snack time because it's a really special time of the show where we get to know our guests a little bit better and um, we kind of get to break bread with them. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I love this idea. I think it's I think it's such a fun way to get to know people. And And Lisa and I were talking about this and she was like, just before I went to Scotland, she was like, okay, well, don't forget you have to bring a snack. Um, and, and so I, I confess one thing, I brought a snack and a beverage. Um, so if, uh, what I'll do is I will bring out my beverages. I have a selection of Scottish whiskey for us to consume. Um, it's, it's good whiskey. I'm, I'm assured. I also had bought some lovely shortbread. Um, but as I said, I, I ate that last night. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we have a selection of macaroons. But um, so for context, it's it's near five, near enough five o'clock that we can legitimately it's drink. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? Right. It's five o five in New York. It's five o five. In which case, shall we? 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's an amazing idea. I think we deserve a drink to share together. I am still going to the gym tonight, so I, uh, I am not partaking, but thank you very much. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not sure the two are completely mutually exclusive. But, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go squat after drinking a McCallum's 12. <laughs> um, but I love this idea on this show of like bringing something in and sharing it. You know, there there is a there's a there's a kind of reality right in the work that we do. That regardless of like what makes you different or what the solution is and, and how you work with people, you fundamentally have to like the people that you work with. I agree. To want to go on the road with them, to yeah. spend hopefully years with them. This isn't, this it should never be like, oh man, this, this person's going to really annoy me. Like this is about finding smart people to collaborate with. Um, so the idea of breaking bread is, um, yeah, it aligns nicely with that. We want to work together. Yeah. So on that note, I guess we'll be back after we cheers. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> the superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSen, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Talent connects top brands and agencies with exceptional creative, marketing, and digital talent every day. Whether you're looking for the right position or to hire the very best talent, 24-7 boasts more than 500,000 vetted and interviewed freelance and full-time candidates. Experience the difference at 247talent.com. That's 24-S-E-V-E-N-Talent.com. We did just cheers with some amazing alcohol that you brought back. So what did we cheers with? We cheers with the Glenmorangie, which is a classic Scottish whiskey. My father would be happy. <laughs> yeah. I actually can't believe I'm drinking whiskey this weekend. <laughs> I thought it would have to be at least more than four days. <laughs> it's Thursday, right? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we're almost at the weekend, yeah. so it worked out well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we, we were having an interesting conversation, um, and I don't know how you feel about discussing this on air, but it was kind of about, like, the fake news. Do you feel comfortable sharing that? Like, I mean, I absolutely feel comfortable talking about it. And again, and just from my own perspective as, as to what do we provide for our clients is a brand safe environment. Right. And, um, and that security is so critical because the damage that can be done to a brand that is aligned with uh, fake news or damaging news or, you know, controversial news can be catastrophic. Sure. Um, and, you know, I think that it's our responsibility to provide brand safe environments. Um, and Lisa and I were talking about this very, when we very first met, it's sort of, you know, what am I passionate about? Why, why do I work where I work? Um, and it's, it is all about the journalism. It's all about the importance of the, of, of great, authentic, credible 
trustworthy journalism. I personally think it's such a critical part of our society. But how do you safeguard against that with news being instant gratification today? Like you have to get it while it's happening or it's even too late at that point. And you guys have journalists all over the world covering, you know, all types of uh, news. What are what type of checks and balances does a company put in place? Not just at yeah. Dow Jones, but any media yeah. institution. What would you what organization? What would you recommend? I mean, I think it's one of the things that again separates us from some of the other global publishers out there are the strict editorial ethics and guidelines that we still uphold. Yes, speed is critical, uh, but at the same time, so is credibility. And so we have multiple checks and balances that all of our news journalism has to go through. And again, Matt Murray, who's leading the transformation on the editorial team sort of talked about the way that he's restructuring the newsroom so that you know content has to go through not just the um his editorial team but uh, you know a writing editor and an, and an ethics editor and, and all of these different checks and balances it's our highest value is our credibility um so the speed and the race and the click is is not as important as that relationship that we have um, and I, with our, with our um, readers um, and, and then believing and trusting what we have out there. And I think, again, it does go to the fact that the, the Wall Street Journal and, and the other publications sort of are powering businesses. You know, you are a CEO reading our content, experiencing one of our live conferences. The information you consume there is going to impact the decisions that you make that are going to impact lives, impact careers, impact businesses, impact supply chains <laughs> and 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 because of that um you know we 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 respect that and, and we take that really seriously you know we, we've we've had all types of people walk in the door and um we've seen uh this uh the media space are, is creating a whole new slew of titles your title is vp client solutions what does that mean what's a day in the life of yeah. i love miss jones i absolutely love that question because one of my caveats to all of this was that my title might change uh, <laughs> what is it going to change to i i mean tbd right, right. but there is an senior LMP. vice president of well, course no 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 no, 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 no not like that i mean it, i mean you know this team that i'm leading is a new team it's, it didn't exist in the previous structure. We've just gone through a transformation. It was put in place as a way to uh, match make our business priorities with our clients' priorities. It was a way to communicate better with Edit. It was a way to communicate better with the custom studios team and to continue to drive our biggest growth areas at, you know, around video and around content and around conferences. Um, but the reality of it, it is, is it's not really like, client solutions um and i think that that word solutions is becoming quite sort of all-encompassing and broad um it's really about strategic sales mm -hmm. if i'm completely mm -hmm. honest right? we um so i know you and i have had conversations around the next gen generation of talent and new to titles and just eliminating them completely um but there's so many titles that are changing right now you know i think a very common one was head of brand partnerships or strategic sales whatever it may be the most recent one i heard that i was pretty fascinated by from a content studio is head of content and commerce which is exactly what it is right mm -hmm. um so 
It'll be interesting to see. You should incorporate Toolbox into your, uh, yes. into your title. Yeah, VP of Toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're on the you're, you're client-facing. You're on the business development side of the business. You're, I'm, a, I'm a, on the revenue engine. Mm-hmm. If we think about the way that our, our business is built right now, you have a solutions engine that are dealing with solving our clients' problems, putting out the creative work, the custom studios, our events team. And then we have our client partners and our strategic account managers that are dealing directly with clients. I sit in that group loop Understood. but i am kind of in a way the bridge between the two so, um so yeah, where, do you, where do you where do you see the most growth opportunities or, or what are clients asking you the most for i know that's kind of two different questions is it content in the sense of printed on the web or on in paper is it live events is it podcasts is it short form video is it video advertising is it i mean there's so many different different yeah mediums and to, to piggyback on that like what kind of content does your team get excited about in terms of creation yeah so many great questions uh, and hold on i just want to say one more thing to it because i think you had said it it's an integrated experience so i think yeah you you know like um a, a while ago a couple of years ago um a, a, a colleague of mine that I've worked with really closely, uh, Chris Schmicker and I, and we t- together, we sort of rebuilt our integrated marketing team. And um, we we just had this like rule that like content is not a commodity. Content should not be a commodity. It should not be how many pieces of content am I getting for this deal? You shouldn't negotiate around volume on content. If you're doing that, chances are it's not going to work very well, right? Because that's that's not the best way to think about it. There are like three questions in there. I may need a, a slight recap <laughs> on that. Um, on the on the like, what are our clients asking us for? I think it's a really interesting question because our clients are asking us for stuff a little bit less, right? The RFP process that was sort of so critical to our industry. Um, I see it. I see it sort of becoming less of the rules of engagement, um, and I fully support that. You know, I think that there's a tremendous value of proactivity and of going out to seek what it is that our clients need for us. Um, So sort of reversing on that once we're in that position of like proactively asking and proactively encouraging those conversations, then it's less of a specific like product ask. It's less about print versus web versus mobile. It is still it's more about like identifying what the problem is and how we can solve that with our toolbox. Um, and so I think there's, um, you know, I think there's a shift here and I, and I, and I, as an industry and as a team, I want us to like capitalize on that even more. So I think that's where, I think where that's where the client solutions team is going to come into play. And what about what they get excited about? Like, what are they passionate about? My team? Yeah. Doing things differently. You know, that's a tough question. That's a tough question. No, I, what I mean by like doing things differently is that um, I have a I have it's a relatively new team as I said, and they come from lots of different backgrounds. Right? So I have some people that have joined from agencies, and some of those are like traditional digital agencies, and some are creative. Someone from AOL, someone from Newscred. There's a couple of people who have been in the business for a while from you know a content background or from a conferences background, and so we have this like amalgamation of talent, right? And so we have smart people. I also have someone leading our programmatic business in there. So it's, it's it is about transaction and distribution as well, but. Smart people who come together, who challenge the way that we do business, and that shit gets me super excited. Totally. I love that so much. So we've covered basically the gamut of content and how you're how you're kind of looking at it. And I think it's that point where we can discuss the more personal side of things and get to know you as a person. 
We'll be right back. You can follow us on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. And episodes are available on our website, contentisyourbusiness.com, and wherever the best podcasts are found. You can also check out all of the other Mouth Media Network shows at mouthmedianetwork.com. for what's your story um and that's more of the personal side of things so we get to learn a little little bit more about joanna and what fuels you as a person um so i kind of want to kick this off with one of my favorite questions who is your biggest inspiration good question um good question i i mean like there's so many it sounds cheesy but it is true that um my my mom is my biggest inspiration and I'll, and I'll kind of back that up a little bit because I can see Eddie rolling his eyes at me right now. <laughs> uh, wh- wh- how is that possible? <laughs> um, so my um, <laughs> my um, my mom's from Israel um, and she moved to the UK when she was 24, not speaking a huge amount of English, and has just worked incredibly hard to be really successful. She's uh, a judge in family court in the UK doing work that I can't imagine how difficult it is. Um, she brought up me and my sister. Uh, someone said that we did okay at the end of that. And this phenomenal balance as a successful woman who has a, an amazing career and is respected professionally, but then is also an amazing mom and grandmom a grandmother is um, is really inspirational. So yeah, she's a massive inspiration personally, professionally. Um, and you know, actually I, I work with this amazing group of women. Um, our president is a woman, our CMO is a woman, our CRO is a woman. Um, there's a CSO and, and they're pretty badass. So, you know, prof- you know, professionally, I'm surrounded by really inspirational women, and, and my mom well, has just been a great... Judge Judy is my, my biggest source of inspiration, so yeah. we have a lot in common. You should probably meet my mom. <laughs> <laughs> the Israeli judge thing, my mom. <laughs> I, I don't normally get brought to court that quickly when I meet someone, but, you know, we could expedite the process, maybe settle. <laughs> I think that's such an amazing story and I can personally relate because both of my parents are Israeli. So I love that so much, especially like kind of making something from nothing. Right. Like, I mean, that is the like startup nation culture, yeah. you know, the uh, ridiculous ambition. And I think you see that with the type of companies that are coming out of Israel right now, like the very uh, tech forward, but not just in the tech space, like in the agricultural space. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's inspirational. And we, we see a lot of our, um, a business growing there. In fact, actually, we're hosting a big uh, tech conference, WSJD Laguna Beach, in two weeks' time. Um, and last year there, I got to meet the CEO of uh, Get Taxi, which is you know the Israeli version mm-hmm. of, of Uber. So you know, I, it's it's we are a platform where you have entrepreneurs and thought leaders and thinkers globally coming together. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Israel has just got so many of those great leaders. Totally. The craziest part is all the technology that comes out of Israel travels around the world before it gets back to them crazy right (laughs) how long have you been here in the states i've been here for four years i moved here from hong kong um so i uh 
I left the UK in 2008, just uh, at the beginning of the financial crisis. I was working in financial publishing, specifically in like institutional investment advertising. And I, I decided um, at the end of that summer that I'd never taken the year out that I sort of almost dreamt of. And so I, I put on a backpack and I took a, a one-way flight to uh, Buenos Aires. And the only condition was that I, 12 months later, I had to fly from Mumbai back to London. And everything else was totally flexible. So I went off and I, and I went traveling for, for a year, um, met amazing people and learned so much about different cultures and, and myself and... Um, and on the way on that trip, and I could talk about that trip for hours. So, but on the way on that trip, I, I stopped in Hong Kong and uh, caught up with some old friends from uh, from Pearson, from the FT. And they said, hey, listen, why don't you come work in Hong Kong? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, I've, I've got a backpack and not much else. Um, and uh, finished my trip, did the fly back from Mumbai to London, picked up some uh, work clothes and, and ended up in Hong Kong. Um, and then I spent four years there, wow. um, moving over to work for the Wall Street Journal eventually, and then transferred from the Wall Street Journal uh, with with the Wall Street Journal to um, to New York. Do you live here in the city? I live in Brooklyn. I live in Crown Heights. Um, so I I recently had twins. Oh, um, twins. Tadaba. <laughs> and um, identical twin boys. And so we are in Crown Heights where we get... beautiful blue eyes. Yeah, they do have great blue eyes with more space and closer to the park. Um, And it's an amazing neighborhood. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I feel like travel, you know, if you move to Hong Kong and then you're coming back to New York, um, that's a big risk, right? Going to Hong Kong and then move to New York. But what was the biggest risk in your career beyond the travel and relocating along the way? Um, the, The idea of taking risk is something that... I, I I get really excited about and I like to think that that's what I can also give to my team. Like I like the idea that if someone works with me for me and at the end of the day does something that's just a little bit more out of their comfort zone as a result of that, then that's kind of that's what I am bringing to the to the group. Um, for me professionally, the biggest risk that I took, um, I mean, I don't know, it's it, it was the best thing I ever did. I, I left Hong Kong and I was a sales person. I had a sales list. And I and I came over to be the director of this integrated marketing team. And I and I turned up in New York and I actually didn't really know what integrated marketing was. <laughs> um and I we didn't have that function. We didn't have that sort of support in anywhere else I've ever worked. And, you know, the integrated marketing team, which is now sort of evolved into like a media client services team and an industry client services team is, is really the, uh, the, the creative content idea, uh, platform for the sales team. And, um, and I, and it took me a while time to get my head around that I was going to be building these presentations, building this team and, and not necessarily taking them out to clients. Um, and as I said, it's, it's evolved, but it was, a, it was a risk and it took some getting used to and some seriously late nights. Um, but I'm, it's fair to say my PowerPoint skills are pretty badass now. And um, that's really because of that two years I spent making decks. So, yeah, it's a good skill. Uh, stories typically end with a final thought. Any final thoughts that you could share with our listeners? Um, I guess a final thought would be that good ideas come from anywhere and everywhere 
I'm a massive believer, and actually, I think it's Linda Boff who said this on stage. I can't pick this as my own, but like of the importance of the democratization of ideas within business, and to not say that they come from a particular group or a particular division, but encouraging and empowering everyone to be able to contribute on ideas about development, content, the way we do our business. And so I encourage you to engage everyone around you to uh, bring some new ideas to the table. Amazing. Thank you so much. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Email, LinkedIn, Twitter? Yeah, so my email address is really long, so I'm not going to say it now. And I'm trying to remember my Twitter handle, um, but it's Joanna Mayer Jones. There aren't very many of us. I think there's the only one. So you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And if you you find me, um, we can swap uh, email addresses. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Such an amazing perspective of what content is. So thanks again for listening. And we look forward to hearing your story next time. You've been listening to Content Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at contentshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, contentisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by 24-7 Talent. Connect with the best talent at 247talent.com. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.